you can look up an article too about Amazon that I wrote and it said, as soon as education treats students like Amazon treats customers as prime customers, we win. When we can say a student is a prime student, that's everybody. They get to opt in because we make things available. So I can take this card, flash your phone, hold it up to just your camera, not the QR code it is, it's something different, and give you a free course, give you a free program, give you a whole degree. And so this is my version of flashing people, okay? I've got it on a key ring as well, but every student on every campus has a card of some similar form. Could be plastic, could be veneered, but nonetheless, all the technology exists for us to be passing stuff around the world instantly. The Digital to Learn podcast is dedicated to exploring both what's new and what's good in the use of technology in teaching and learning. Our mission is to have the best minds sitting in front of our microphones, sharing evidence-based strategies for digital teaching and learning. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Thank you for joining us. And now, the Digital to Learn podcast. Welcome to the Digital to Learn podcast. I'm Tiffany Snyder, and I'm here with my co-host for the day, Mike Jones. Hey, Mike. Hey, Tiffany. I'm so stoked to be here. Thanks. Yeah, you know, Brad Garner and I normally co-host together, but we've made the exciting decision to bring Mike to the forefront. He's always behind the scenes, but to bring him to the forefront for our podcast when they're centered around XR, VR, AR, because he's really our go-to guy for that. So it's really nice to have Mike here with a guest that he brought on, and that's Mike Matthews. Welcome back, Mike. Hey, glad to be here. If you didn't catch our episode from last week, please go back and catch part one. Otherwise, we're going to dive right back into a conversation about XR and higher ed what you can expect, what assumptions are there, what the future looks like. So let's dive back in. One of the things that you mentioned earlier was how some folks are motivated in adopting this technology because their kids and their grandkids are already using it and already skilled with it. So what are the opportunities for students, specifically in higher ed, to bring to the table ownership and agency and content creation in the world of XR. Oh yeah. So as students just are finding things that you wouldn't imagine. So I mentioned OER, millions of objects, they're finding far more. Now we know about the flipped classrooms, go back to your dorms, go home, come back and we'll have more time to collaborate and discuss. Multiply that times 10 is what you see with immersive learning because the student can now come back and remember all our technology flips on the screens. So a student can take their smartphone and bring up theirs, flip it on the screen and say, look what I found. <laughs> I found the human anatomy in Chinese or Spanish. Where'd you find that? Well, let's add that to our library of resources. So mm -hmm. suddenly you've got all these research individuals helping out, but for the classes who are truly serious to say, Mike, we want, our seniors to take a final project creating something in extended reality i said okay we'll need to train them for about four hours on a product called sketchup they're not going to be a full-blown designer of everything but on sketchup they can and so that class which is sports management class took their seniors and the seniors created olympic-sized swim pools soccer stadiums and then uh -huh. walked their classmates through it and talk about ownership but better yet what if employers found out that you're able to create that kind of engagement? A lot of people don't know, but I would say 75% of all Fortune 500 companies already have extended reality. They just don't share it because it's confidential and proprietary for intellectual property purposes. 
But when they find out that these students know how to do some of this, they're in. That's our placement rate at ORU for two years is 98%. I think it went up to 99.4% this past semester. What can you say? I mean, it's great when employers are investing. It's great when employers are hiring your students, all because of that. No, we had studied student engagement. We had studied student success, retention. Everything went up, but it's over time. I wouldn't say it's because of immersive learning. Yeah. Uh, however, I will tell you, one of the things I do at faculty is, man, I'll put up some stuff that they never heard of before. Because of my background in corporate training and how the mind works, they would never think of that because education doesn't need to. This course shell, course objectives, outline, deliverables, competencies, you know, you'd name it, go down 15 weeks to give a test. But to take Bloom's taxonomy and prove that now every discipline can now reach the top quartile of Bloom's taxonomy on the knowledge and cognitive dimension, that's incredible. Never before in the history of education could you do that. And it's all because of the knowledge that you can transfer with VR, extended learning, AR, the combined nature of that. And so I do a lot of stuff with how the human heart actually learns before the brain. So these kids, we get enough studies now where people who do esports score higher academically than those who don't. And so it comes back to when you're gaming, a student's brain will engage 1400% more during a game than it does sitting in a classroom. Now, I don't make up the rules. I'm just telling you what's happening in our society with Roblox and Fortnite and so forth. And so I say to our cabinet members and say, hey, you want big crowds? Fortnite had 27 million people in their VR uh, concert. Gee, you want to do a recruitment thing and bring in even 10,000? This is maybe your avenue. But again, it's little at a time, keep going forward. Metaverse is gonna be a big player, there's no doubt. But at what time, and you can't get in too early because all of a sudden people will judge, well, I would have used it if I could have did this or that. You know, same problem, right? Mm, yeah. 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 This might be getting in the weeds a bit, but I have a career development background. So I'm just thinking yeah. for those students that are taking ownership and creating content and learning skills within the XR environment, is there any formalized way that you have them communicate those projects, like I'm thinking of digital badges or certifications, or is it more of they just have an opportunity to put that on their resume, on their LinkedIn profile, talk about it in an interview? How do you capture that learning? Oh, yeah. So for the first two years, we would actually do a one-year certificate in VR development and pick up those students. And we did a test. This is helpful information. I took our programmers on campus and brought them through the training at first. No luck, that's not there. Brought in marketing students, huge success. Hmm. And it was this whole concept of understanding things conceptually. And I don't know if you've ever heard of the gentleman named 42nd Boyd. John Boyd was a pilot in the Air Force and he came to this conclusion and he proved it. He could bring down any fighter pilot in 40 seconds or less by doing something called the OODA loop. Understand, Hmm. orient, apply and act. And so, but he said it this way. He said, I can't hire somebody if I can describe a pair of skis, a handlebar and a rubber belt, and they can't call that a snowmobile. And that was really that concept of people who are very linear have a harder time bringing all these abstract things together in what we would call a learning environment versus a learning object. So we were used to in education for so many years, a learning object. Oh, we can bring up a human heart or we can bring up this. But it's way beyond that now and say, okay, objects by themselves, but to bring up a learning environment. And so I encourage a lot of college over the last eight years 
Stop calling people instructional designers and call them learning producers. It's a better title. You're not cookie cutting into your Blackboard system or desire to learn whatever Canvas system you use. You're learning how to be a creative person, but ultimately you're trying to help students learn. Mm. And sometimes the pathway between a learning producer and the students is better connection than through the faculty member who's just trying to get through the course. Not in all cases. Now, what we did too, which would be helpful, the president did a great thing. He put up some scholarship money to say, we'll take up to three people and put them on sabbatical to explore with VR and make sure. So we found, you know, art speaking professor. And that was a big hit that, by the way, it fills in the last question too. Our faculty member who does honor students found the hardest part of doing those students is public speaking. So there was a VR capability to public speak inside of a pair of glasses and be rated by the audience and less offensive or frightful stage fright. And that was just a huge hit. And so here getting into this, oh, it's going to be engineers, it's going to be designers into VR, but it was not quite the opposite, but closer to the opposite than we thought. Hmm. Hmm. Now, was that, you talk about these, Michael, are these partnerships like virtual speech, I know does a similar thing like that. Are these partners that are you, or did you guys do in-house development? We did some in-house development, but initially for the million, we bought sort of an enterprise wide, we get almost everything because we didn't want to only have something for the nurses or something for somebody else. Now, in that though, every department, no different at any university, they've got funding. They'll spend their funding when they get excited about the right thing. Unfortunately, a lot of the professors who would go to a conference will come back, I want to buy a pair of Oculus glasses or a pair of this one off, and it's not helpful to the student body. So it was, how do we sort of garner cross-campus decision-making without going through the consensus process. Well, the only way I know to do it is to build trust. Mm-hmm. That you're going to help people invest their money, the money you have for the greater good of everyone. But, you know, yeah. back to winning awards with them, we're in this together. Now, I do a lot of publishing. So for an IT person, it's amazing how many people will align with you if you look like they do. Write articles, teach so forth you know it's just like you know you wave at somebody who's got the same kind of vehicle you have concept we're human beings creatures of habit that way so a lot of i call it skinware there's hardware there's software but skinware is you know the concept or the creativity of knowing why or why won't people use something now the thing i said about these old elderly faculty coming down here because it was easier parking there was no steps that blew my mind that was my miracle i needed that day (laughs) That's great. We've talked a lot about the technology and some of the things it can do, but you also have talked about the well-being of students. So when you talk about the well-being of students when it comes to technology design, what do you mean there? So all these years, people have given too much credit to technology, web 1.0, 2.0, generation one, two, three, four phones. So I'm at the United Nations speaking and I laid it out thick. I said, you know, all these greedy companies are doing that because they want to disrupt, they want you to buy. But the truth is, if technology was supposed to be beneficial for humanity, we should have called it civilization 1.0, 2.0, 3.0. We should have put the human at the center, not the technology. And that caught on a little bit. So I've been documented in a book in India called Humanware 3.0, is that all the plasma screens in the world won't help students get a better test score. All the new devices won't help them at all. 
But if I can connect with their heart and teach them that they can learn with the best of them, I've created humanware. And so we were able to prove scientifically now, even though it was a known fact, that a student who doing cognitive load, their heart rate goes up four percentage points. So I could go into any class and say, look at your Fitbit. Tell me if your heart rate goes up during this class or any class to find out if you're actually learning. Why? Because the human heart learns first and then your academic mind or intellectual mind. And so Ohio State University had me come and speak there on this whole concept because they had actually did that study. They just didn't have the Fitbits. They couldn't issue Fitbits to everyone. So I went there and spoke and just found out all kinds of cool stuff about how people really learn. And that really triggered me to say, you know what, we've got to find a better way to use this technology rather than just sell devices. Yeah. And virtual reality was the first one that allowed me to go after the, it's called the mind's eye. If you look in science, type in mind's eye, I'll tell you what the mind's eye is. It's your third eye, but it's how you process things. It's how you dream. It's what, all those things that happen. And if you can connect to that first, these kids are geniuses. So I've been on this almost rampage to say, you know, mm -hmm. I'm tired of everybody calling a savant a mathematician or a musician only. The fact is a savant by its definition is somebody from every discipline, but we don't know who they are because we don't have any creativity. And that, oh, that's a good point. Well, I said, but what are we gonna do about that? And so we got a lot more synergy flowing when you go after it. But again, it's Bloom's taxonomy, how people really learn, the mind's eye, this stuff here, not just the proper way to do pedagogy. You know, uh, you know, I mean, we can do pedagogy, <laughs> but if that's the end result, it's like, who doesn't dislike their job? So, and that's why I'm excited about chat GPT. You know, it's phenomenal what the capabilities are going to be, but I'll just throw this out and leave it at that because it'll make you think. I love scripture, so I do a lot of studying, but I'm amazed at how many people misrepresent scripture. And so I say, you know what, you're mad about TikTok, you're mad about YouTube shorts or how the knowledge is speeding up. I don't think I care about that. Why? Because one generation, maybe my, my daughter's, my granddaughter's generation will have to see in the twinkling of an eye or in a flash because that's how he will be recognized. Now, I should want that for myself because he's worthy of me seeing him at his speed. And I want to be part of that. And so when the book of Daniel says knowledge will increase in the last day, and I'm purposely holding it up because of my belief system or my prejudice about a technology, shame on me. Mm. And so when I saw GPT chat and the supercomputer company I work for came out with the fastest supercomputer that goes at eight quintillion calculations per second. Wow. And last month, the University of Denmark invented a chip for the internet that will be as fast as the entire internet combined in one chip. You can see it, it's there. But this is the day that the people who claim they cared about people were waiting for, that we can solve cancers, we can solve depression, we can solve the things instead of, let's take another four years, let's take another eight years and say, uh, I wanna be slow in the right things, but not when it comes to watching a kid play Fortnite accelerating their brain 1200% more. Now I got to put them in a classroom where they're bored to tears. <laughs> they, that makes no sense. So yeah. here's a fun thing. If you got time to tell one little story, yeah. that would help, encourage you about 
The faculty, again, we've got the best faculty in the world at ORU. I mean, I'll have them come bring me muffins and donuts and gifts. I said, they don't need to do that. I'm not going to, you know, I treat everybody the same. But nonetheless, what they're trying to do is say, Mike, you helped us during a pandemic. We flipped over our classes in one day because of your decision to buy Enterprise Zoom back in 2012. I said, well, yeah. And they said, well, why I'm coming to you is I want you to help us with artificial intelligence now. Yeah. And I, yeah. I paused because I knew his interest was sincere. And I said to him, Dr. Lyons is his name, and he ended up writing an article with me on AI because of this little meeting. I said, Dr. Lyons, when you were at home during the pandemic, did you watch any of those Netflix series or any of those you know series you get sucked into? I know my wife and I did. And he said, yeah, yeah, I really like this one, this one. I said, well, what about those commercials? He said, oh, that's what I love the most. There's no commercial. Uh-huh. Mm. I paused intentionally and said, but what if you're the next commercial? You see, kids are going to have a choice before too long. And if they decide your program, your college, your university is the next commercial and they can fast forward over it, they'll do it. Because they're consumers and the means will be there to do that. And I, you can type in my name, Google Michael plus Matthews with one T plus are you the next commercial? I think I did a video clip on that as well as the article as well. But I don't want to be the next commercial. So enough said there. Powerful. Unless it's during the Super Bowl and has a little bit more weight. <laughs> yeah, there you go. When the Green oh, Bay but, Packers are playing, yeah. Yeah. Did you guys watch the game last night at all? Oh, I, I yeah. We're covering our... No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. I've never seen anything like that. They canceled the game, but the whole stadium was at like a standstill. Now, I'm not saying it should or shouldn't have been. It's an eye-opener. That game got canceled, an important game, could trickle down a couple other things. But again, we have no control over things going into the future. Pandemic was a learning lesson. Other things will happen naturally or unnaturally. It's just a wake-up call about, you know, things sped up, things are changed, all kinds of crazy stuff. Well, our next question is about predictions. You've yep. given us some, but we're greedy folks over here. So, you know, what are your hopes or predictions for the future of higher ed? Sure. The future of higher education, my goal has always been it's free. A lot of people don't know in 1948, Eleanor Roosevelt came up with the 30 human rights and with the United Nations, you can look them up, 30 human rights. Now, human right number 26 is every human has the right to an education. So I struggle with student loan debt being as high as it is. I struggle with the fact that people can't believe that they could obtain an education. And the truth is the facts say 96% of all world citizens don't believe they can obtain a education. So mm -hmm. we've got a privileged 4% who have a post high school diploma or degree. I'm embarrassed as a technologist who knows that access should be better, that that's the case. Now, what are we going to do about that? Well, some stuff's already in play. Sub-Saharan Africa is the fastest growing region of the world because of some new internet satellite dishes being put in and other things happening. But what if all of a sudden these supercomputers, internet speed, everything else comes into play in this hyper-connected world? Are we ready to go with education in a box or a complete degree? Let me pull out. I don't, I don't have my wallet. Yes, I do. Give me a second here. So I'm going to pull out of my wallet a flashcard with our logo on it. 
Okay, it's a metal that looks like Marriott Bonvoy. So you can look up an article too about Amazon that I wrote and it said, as soon as education treats students like Amazon treats customers as prime customers, we win. When we can say a student is a prime student, that's everybody. They get to opt in because we make things available. So I can take this card, flash your phone, hold it up to just your camera, not the QR code it is, it's something different, and give you a free course, give you a free program, give you a whole degree. And so this is my version of flashing people, okay? I've got it on a key ring as well, but every student at every campus has a card of some similar form. Could be plastic, could be veneered, but nonetheless, all the technology exists for us to be passing stuff around the world instantly. All wow. we have to do is figure out how to fund it. And right. there's never been more money available than it is now. So I'm in Washington, D.C. speaking at the education conference back in August. They've got this beautiful emblem about U.S. Washington. I stand underneath it and did a video clip. I do a lot of little video clips to, in case it plays out. And I say a prayer. Forgive the student loan debt, $1.8 trillion. Wipe it out. I don't need it, but others do. And so within one month, the first decision to cancel X amount, billions of dollars student loan debt happened, even though it's going through battle right now, it'll come to pass in some form. But for three years now, people haven't had to pay their student loan debt off. Mm. So I would tell the government, if I got a chance to, who knows I may, you're paying debt on debt now yourself because you're paying off the debt that you happen to incur to other people. So you would have been better off having the states pay for the education to begin with. It's just nobody wants to spend the time coming up with the model, how you make it free for people. And again, there's got to be something in the game in education to make it worthwhile. But it's not to the point that the student of the years generally goes like this. We want to recognize Janice Jones. Janice was a working mother who had three jobs and had to travel to three campuses and work Saturdays and Sundays, and, but she made it through. Let's give her a round of applause. And I'm saying, that's insanity. You're insinuating that your system is that broken that you're going to force somebody to do all those gyrations to get their degree. That makes no sense to me. And most people who have taken online know that you can cut it down quite a bit if you don't have all the traveling and everything else. I mean, enough said there, I'll get in trouble if I go any further. So <laughs> the future of education for me is, I wouldn't doubt that somebody like an Amazon buys out the education debt. Because when you think of education, it's a logistics challenge. How do you get K-12 to higher ed and how do you get higher ed into the workforce? And right now there's 10 million job openings with nobody to fill them. We've got a logistical problem because of the way education's structured. Amazon would know how to fix a logistical issue. They've been through that. So I think we're gonna see some kind of merger at some point, could be 10 years, maybe five, but it may have to go through a little tumultuous experience. Now, keep in mind, I say all this, I'm a recipient of an education, couple degrees. I can't place a big enough value on my education. It's worth every penny I've invested. But I don't want everybody to have to pay the price I did to get it. And I think when we get people realizing that, and healthcare is the same, right? At some point, if we all keep paying more and more healthcare, we won't afford healthcare. And so we'll have to find a solution for that. So that's my prediction. Now, I think the metaverse, when it's in its entirety, 
and we just don't have competing companies selling a metaverse. I call it a lot of discrete applications in the metaverse today. I can buy holographic, I can buy avatar creation, or I can buy templates to create a building lookalike. But I can't find something that's scalable across all my programs and courses yet. Once right. we do, things open up in a big way because the truth is it's time that we make it more available, more accessible, but also more engaging. And Roblox is preparing students to get to that level where they say, I don't want to come unless you've got something like Roblox in higher ed. It doesn't make any sense. And I, I scratch my head over that stuff all the time, but I, I've learned not to fight it. My granddaughters are having the time of their life in Roblox, and they're telling me things like, how in the world did you learn that at seven years old? Well, that's a good thing. They may be the generation that sees in a flash or the twinkling of an eye. Yeah, I'm, I'm just blown away. My brain's going, what if every one of our students had a card that they could hand to a friend and they get a free college course? I mean, that's advertising at a level we've never seen it before. That's incredible. Just that one thing alone. What a cool prediction. And it, it makes the statement, and I've been part of a lot of strategic planning around the country at colleges, and I'll challenge it all. I'll get there and say, now remember, you guys use the same cliche every other university does. It's all about the students. Yep, that's our that famous one-liner. It's all about the students. So when I get done with strategic planning, I said, now go around the room and tell me how many of those are really about the students. None of them. It's all about you. Easier access and things. And that's okay. You got to have those. But you can't say it's about the students and not make it about the students. But I think that's why that tip top flip will come where the students say, we're smarter than that. We know we're not prime customers. Wow. It's a lot. So good. You were mic dreaming what it would be like to hand every student something. I'm thinking, what would it be like to have every administrator, faculty member, staff person at our institution listen to this podcast and at every institution to be thinking in this way? So, you know, sometimes we put a quote at the beginning of the podcast, a quote that captures it all or that represents the rest of the show. But I'm just thinking, which quote do we use? <laughs> we have lots of quotes from you, Mike. So right. oh. Thanks for being here today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for joining us today, Mike. You've given us so much to think about, and we know this is not the last conversation we'll have. So thanks again. Oh, you're welcome. From Tulsa, Oklahoma to Indiana, it's been a pleasure. Thanks. Thanks for Mike Jones for bringing Mike Matthews to the show. Us Mikes have to stick together. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> Thank you. And for all of our listeners, we'll be back again next week with another guest on the Digital to Learn podcast. We'll see you then. Thank you for joining us on Digital to Learn. If you enjoyed this podcast, there are three things we ask you to do. One, come back and join us again. Two, tell your friends about us. And three, give us a positive ranking on your favorite podcast platform. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Embrace the future. Always keep learning.